Hello everybody, welcome to the 14th episode of the World of Brickfuns podcast. I'm your host, William of AW Studios. Joining me today is uh, my good friend and co-host, Sean Willis of Penta. It's good to be back once again. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> and uh, joining us today is um, Paul Hollingsworth of uh, Digital Wizards. What up, guys? How you doing, alright? Yeah, yeah, doing great, man. Even though California is burning, uh, I'm safe here. That's good to hear. Uh, it would be a shame if all that Lego melted. Oh, yeah. Actually, last year, there was a fire that was close. It was the Latuna Canyon fire, and uh, we could see it coming up over the hill. And it was out of control for about, like, six days, I think, before firefighters were able to put it out. Uh, but I had to have an evac plan for moving, like, I don't know, like, 400 pounds of Lego <laughs> computers and hard drives and everything well yeah i never considered that before because usually i would view california as the place to be if you want to be brick professionally but i i never considered the fact that fires might start creeping up on you <laughs> yeah yeah man malibu's burning right now yeah. a lot of people lost their homes that's a shame yeah i think kendall jenner lost her house it's scary to see the pictures the videos coming out but it's good to hear that you're safe and and everyone you know as well Oh, yeah. Uh, one of our builders had to evacuate his house. Um, but I think he's I think he's going to be okay. Okay. It was a pretty negative yeah. note to start on. I don't know if we want to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking. Let, let's, let's get into some more, more positive discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you're most famous for, like, your uh, work as uh, Digital Wizards. But um, you've been brick filming for... Well, since way back in the early 2000s, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I started brick filming in, I think it was like 1999, 2000. Uh, I'd finished graduating from film school in Thunder Bay in Canada. And uh, when I was there, I did a stop motion animation with all with clay. Uh, I'd also done some stuff with mixed media and some paper and magazine cutouts. Um, but I always had a huge collection of Lego so uh, I was working as an editor, and I decided I would do a 15-minute stop-motion Braveheart-style movie of 80 guys attacking a castle and 100 guys are defending the castle. Uh, so I shot that over, I think, like two and a half months. And this was before Dragon Frame, but I had found a way to kind of mimic Dragon Frame in a way because I had an XL1 camera that was able to connect with Firewire to my G3 Apple. And because it was like, those are both like, you know, good prosumer items as an editor and camera guy. Um, so I was able to be capture a frame, throw it in a timeline, and then review it. So I was able to just sort of like build that. And they've got some pretty epic scenes in that. Although I had no animation training, really. Like, I didn't really understand the 12 principles. I hadn't learned it anywhere. I just liked moving things around. So things were more steady. They weren't like eases in or eases out. Uh, but we had some pretty visual, huge, ambitious scenes in those. It's funny that that would be the, the first thing you uh, you make in, in Lego. So, such an ambitious project. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my style, though. It's like I like yeah. big visual films. Like I love things like Braveheart or The Patriot. Or um, any Steven Spielberg movie, um, 
they just they have these giant set pieces. It's just like it's it's always big. So you know we do that same kind of thing at Digital Wizards where we make huge sets and we make spectacular looking movies. And so does that mean that you hadn't actually seen a brick film before you made your own? Uh, that is correct. I'd never seen one. And actually, my neighbor who was doing a voice of one of the Ewoks was telling me, he's like, hey, man, you know, there's this, you know, there's this thing by like White Stripes. Like they made a, uh, a Lego video, the like a Lego music video. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah, I watched. It. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like it's all made out of Lego bricks. It's pretty wild. Um, but I'd never seen one before. So I just, you know, I just had, you know, the tools that I had with in front of me and I had, you know, giant boxes of Lego that I'd been collecting since I was a kid. So just kind of like just went out and did it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I mean, I, I guess it, it's kind of like something that people wouldn't really think about these days that you, you wouldn't have seen one because nowadays it's like, how could you not with yeah. YouTube and the Internet? And, and that was the other thing is like, this is like 1999, like 2000. So even like YouTube wasn't really, I don't know if YouTube was even around back then. No, not for another few years, no. You could maybe see like some video, internet videos, but like, you know, it's just not like the accessibility that we have nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, actually, I was going to ask if that was your first brick film because I kind of expected it to n not to be because this is a uh, Block Wars, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Block Wars was kind of like I think it was originally called Joe Blockhead, and then I changed it to Block Wars and kind of like updated the soundtrack because I had done most of the voices, um, and I'd gotten some other people to do some voices and kind of did like a recut of it and re-released it uh, maybe five or six years ago. Um, and then just kind of like tweak the story a little bit to make it a little more accessible. Uh, but yeah, Block Wars was the very first one. And then I think I did like a Star Wars one with like the Steven Spielberg set because my girlfriend's mom bought me the Steven Spielberg set for Christmas. And it was a great Christmas present. And then I'm like, well, the camera's kind of like weak sauce because uh, it's just a little web <laughs> camera. But I'm like, you know, we could do something with this. So we did like a trailer for Clone Wars and then I did like I went back to shooting on an XL1 because it was just better quality and that was when I did like uh, Vader Boy which is like an Avril Lavigne Skater Boy mashup and these were made for the Lego Festival animation competitions weren't they oh yeah um well I had made them and then they I just I, I had found out that there were competitions so I had, was able to actually submit them to I think like 2001 or 2002 um yeah there was like brick fest brick yeah. fest and brick west and then i actually even went down to the uh to virginia where they had one of the brick fests and it was incredible that was like a really eye-opening experience for me because then i could see everybody else who really really loved lego and loved building these massive dioramas and they were able to just put so many so many bricks and so much love and all this original creation too um because mostly you know, to that point, like, I had only seen people building mostly the sets. Sometimes you'd get a little bit of mocks, uh, but not a ton. Um, but, like, it's, I don't know, do you guys remember your first Brickfest or Brick Festival? Well, we're not exactly in the, the best locations <laughs> in the world for such things. Yeah. Oh, but do you guys have, like, Brick Conventions? Not really, no. Really? Um, not Well, not there, in, there like, might be one yeah. in Ireland. I'm not sure. But, but like, not, not in Britain or anything, no. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, after we had released uh, Jurassic Park, we had actually gotten contacted by um, this festival for, I think it was like a Harry Potter festival. And they were asking us if we would bring our sets from Jurassic Park to show off at their festival in there because the new Jurassic Park movie was coming out. Uh, and I thought it was like crazy. I'm like, what am I going to, how the heck am I going to pack up? Like, it's going to cost us like 10 grand to pack everything up <laughs> into containers, ship it, put it in trucks, set it up while we're over there. It's going to take two or three of us to like set every, all the sets back up. I'm like, this is crazy. And also like after a set, after we're done filming, like a lot of the stuff just gets thrown back into bins or disassembled. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> that's a, I mean, did you ever figure out how you might have done that? Because that's actually a mystery to me when I see these massive scenarios and Lego conventions. How do they get them there in one piece? Um, the more, yeah, we've actually, we've done a couple of displays and the more displays uh, that we've done. The other thing is I'm also in uh, Hollywood Lug and Legola, which are Lego user groups. And it's for, if you're big fans of Lego, then you can meet other fans of Lego and you can all build things together and uh, display them at events. And through some of these clubs and events, I've, you know, met more Lego fans and we've been able to build bigger, cooler things because I have a lot of Lego, but, you know, I have friends that have collections that are twice the size of mine or like, or they just have different things. You know, everybody's buying different things. Everybody's buying different mm -hmm. sets. So we have found ways and techniques on, okay, well, what do you break down and what do you build at the show? And, you know, how do you package it? How do you move it? Um, there's been a couple of our sets that we've taken even down to Legoland down in San Diego, which is about like a two hour drive from Los Angeles. So even then it's like, I have to find ways to like package it, throw it in the back of the car and then like carry it halfway through a theme park and set it up on a <laughs> table again. Yeah. yeah. But actually come to think of it, just to go back to, um, Brickfest and early two thousands there for a moment. Yeah. Something I've, I've wondered before is. So if, if you're making brick films and entering them into the the festival competitions, and I, I assume you would have been meeting some other people who had created brick films, uh, did you ever discover brickfilms.com at that time period? Brickfilms.com. Yeah, I honestly, that didn't really ring a bell. Uh, like some people had sent in, like that was the other thing was like, so I had made um, Block Wars and sent it in. And then I think it was like maybe like nine months later, there was the brick, there was Brickfest. So I went down to Brickfest, and that's when I saw that there were some other Lego films that people had made. Uh, I think there was like one that was like an Evanescence music video <laughs> that was a little more 2D Lego. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, it was like the Bring Me Back to Life one, because uh, that was a really popular song back then. And um, I had met mostly other builders. I don't think there were that many Brick filmers that were at these events. The cool thing about that Brickfest was they had actually had... Uh, they had like a whole like 200 seat auditorium. So they were actually able to gather like 200 Lego fans. They could all sit in the auditorium and then watch like 35 minutes of brick films, which was pretty spectacular to have a huge audience like that watch your movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, one, one thing I was wondering, um, were you ever familiar with um, Thomas Foote? Thomas Foote? Uh, no, I don't think so. Does he have another, like, does he go by another handle or something, or? No, um, but it's just, uh, one time when I was researching the animation competitions at Brickfest and Bricks West, I found a picture on Brickshelf of you and Thomas Foote together on a stage. 
Oh, really? It's it pretty funny because he's, he's a very early community member in Rick Filming. So, you know, it's like the two of you represented such wildly different time periods. <laughs> to see it together was strange. Um, You know, it's possible we met like, that's the other thing is too. Like if I think of like 2000, that was what, like 17, 18 years ago? Yeah, of course. And, and, and you probably, you wouldn't have known like you wouldn't have gotten deep into conversation but everyone you were pictured with i'm sure oh my gosh you know it's funny it's probably like martin scorsese and steven spielberg like hanging out like in film school <laughs> and then like they go on to have separate careers but they always like still like run back into each other i wonder if yeah. it's <laughs> if it's something along those lines um well he hasn't really been seen uh, in brick filming for a very long time i mean in a way, it's kind of like Alfred Hitchcock and Martin Scorsese meeting, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. I'll take, uh, I don't know, my Martin Scorsese in this scenario. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah. But um, going, going all the way back again, um, one thing that um, I do sort of think about, like, when it comes to... Because um, obviously, um, when you started out, there wasn't, like... Um, there was a community, and it wasn't easy to find like other brick filmers and stuff. But in a way, maybe that kind of um, makes you want to make your films more ambitious. Because like you don't see what the other examples are, so you don't sort of think, "Oh, this is the standard brick film." Right. That is a good point. Um, although, so what happened is I hit a dark ages like after I got married, and then um, you know, I kind of packed up some Lego for I guess like maybe four or five years. And then when I had my daughter Haley, like we started playing Lego again and I had seen a competition uh, come up. It was something like it was somewhere in Colorado and I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. I'm like, yeah, I used to make Lego movies. Uh, it would be cool to see like what are people making nowadays? So I looked around online and I saw Forest Fire had put out this incredible Harry Potter brick film. And I was like, wow, man, this is not this is wild, like, what this guy is doing. He's got all these VFX and stuff. And, and at that point, like, I'd been editing for a while, like, maybe 10 years or something. And I'm definitely more of, like, an editing, like, VFX guru. So um, I'm like, all right, well, we can make a film. Like, I got all my editor buddies and VFX friends together. And I'm like, well, what can we do? We're going to shoot for two days and then we have eight days to do the rest of like the VFX and everything. I'm like, why don't we do like Cowboys and Aliens? But we'll do it so that it's George Lucas's version of Cowboys and Aliens. It's um, Quentin Tarantino's version. It'll be it'll be like all these like Michael Bay's version. It'll be like all these different directors' versions of Cowboys and Aliens. So we shot it in two days. And then did so many VFX to it. And at that time, I was like, yeah, frame rate. I'm like, frame rate doesn't matter. I'm like, what matters is the jokes. It's all about comedy. So, like, we just wrote so many different jokes for it and all these different things. So, like, James Cameron's version of Cowboys and Aliens has, like, <laughs> avatars in it. And it's all about 3D. So, you know, we just had, like, all these different things. And then, I like, I watched afterwards and I'm like, yeah, you know, pretty good for, like, what we made in, in like, 10 days. And then I was like, oh, yeah, well, we did shoot at, like, a, I think, like, six or eight frames per second. And I'm, like, kind of clunky. But it was, like, the more that I watched and the more I got into animation, the more I started understanding frame rates and just seeing how, 
No, it's it's ne not necessarily just about jokes. It is about jokes. It is about story. It is about pacing. It is about timing. But it's also about like frame rate and technical execution. So that's why like the next film we did was uh, Batman's Day Off, and we got down to like I don't know eighteen. Wait, like maybe fifteen frames? No, we didn't get to fifteen frames a second. Maybe like ten or eight frames a second. And then we did, and then we just did another one. But it was like, what I kept doing was I kept getting all of my friends involved uh, and just building up a team because this is a very collaborative thing. You can't just make a movie by yourself. You need more people. You need people to do voices. You need people to help you out with VFX. Like, you don't want to do all the VFX by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to do all the graphics. You don't want to do all the credits. You don't want to do, like, I can't write music. So, you know, I have <laughs> my friend who does television shows. Um, he does a lot of the music for us and he can come up with like custom composing. And I think that's where it was like a one thing that our brick films were different than other people's were a lot of the people that were working on our films are all working in the industry. And this was just like a favor they do for me for a couple of days. And that's why we could have like an amazingly mixed movie because my buddy Dave Kelly from Voodoo Highway was able to mix with the same quality that he mixes feature length films or like if we did vfx then we could do like some crazy vfx because we've got 3d animators that are you know friends that could help out um like brent mcdonald he was a huge part at the very beginning of digital wizards um he's did like things with the the balrog uh for our lord of the rings film and we even got oh my god we got vernon wells for our lord of the rings video and this is a guy who was in the original Mad Max movie. Oh, no, he was in Road Warrior. Like, we got Vernon Wells as Gandalf <laughs> because he was in on a voice session. And we were just like, oh, hey, if you, uh, how would you like to be part of this thing? You know, we're going to film this. And he's like, yeah, sure, cool. Yeah, sometimes it's surprising when you, you ask someone to do something and you, you think it's like a long shot. But usually people are, are happy to help and enjoy collaborating. Yeah, um, you know, I think we tossed him some cash, too, and it wasn't like... <laughs> that, that also helps, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, that the other thing, too, is it is about building relationships with people. Um, I think at that time, a friend I was doing, you know, a friend that I was working with uh, had done just done Vernon a favor, so he was fine to do a favor for us, and, like, that cost him maybe 20 minutes of his day. Yeah. And he was already in the voiceover booth, so... But I think sometimes people say that they enjoy brick filming because they get to be in control of every aspect. But I do agree that it's very nice when you, if you've spent so long creating the animation and then you send off the film and get it back with an element added to it, like the music, and you didn't have to do any work on it and it comes back great. <laughs> it, it, it's a great yeah. feeling, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the other thing is, like, I'm a decent editor, but I'm not a composer. You know, I'm not like I'm, I'm good at VFX, but I'm not a 3D animator. Uh, I can do pretty nice lighting, but I'm not a cinematographer. Like there are people who do these roles all the time. And if you were to think about it, like if your sink breaks down, um, you know, you call a plumber or you call an electrician when you have when you need wiring in your house. You could probably do it yourself if you really wanted to, <laughs> um, but you're not yeah. a specialist. And there is something yeah. uh, that uh, a, a trained post-audio engineer can do that I can't do. You know, I have 
my composer Dave, uh, who does a lot of our mixes, he'll listen to something and he's like, wait, no. He's like, if we're doing a music edit on something, he's like, wait, no, that's not in the right scale. And then he'll run over to his piano and he'll hit like two keys and he's going back and forth on the keys and he's like, dun, 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 dun. And he's like, and he listens to find a way to make it so cohesive that you go, oh, right. This is what you do all the time. This is why you're winning awards. This is why you're writing songs. This is why you're you're the man to do this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually it's a topic that we've discussed on this podcast before. Is that you see like people who make a film all by themselves that that's really good, and you just have to wonder what if they had a guy to do each element that they're not the best at. Uh, and they could just spend all their time focusing on what they are best at, and and it would just, right. just take it to the next level and get it done faster as well. Sure. And I, I guess you're probably like one of the very, very maybe the only person in brick filming who really fits that kind of uh, model of creating the films. Right. I think it's because I take more of a film approach to it, um, whereas this is kind of a fun thing that we do, like when we have some downtime. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to build like a stop motion animation studio, uh, which started with brick filming. And it just, you know, we've had some videos that went viral. So toy companies hire me to make other uh, branded content for them. And like that allows me to have a 2000 square foot studio space. I have a VFX department. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are builders who want to build things together, you know, and we all love Lego. Like that's, that's the best part about this whole thing is there is a toy that's out there that it doesn't matter like when you got it, it doesn't matter how much or how little that you have, but it always works together. You know, it's a system that <laughs> all works together and you could build anything you possibly want and you can animate anything you possibly want. So, you know, given the right resources, like, you can make a movie like a Braveheart or an Avatar or a Star Wars movie. Uh, whereas, like, if you're just in your basement and, you know, maybe it was just your friends, it's like maybe you don't have, like, lightsabers or, um, I don't know, horses or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. you can't necessarily make anything in a real-life drama yeah, and, and, you, and you can't just build any set you want. You can't just put up a new wall. <laughs> in theory, you can do all these things, but it's going to take you, like, ten years and, if you're on your money. own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, money is the huge, is, is the huge uh, factor in all that, right? Like, yeah, maybe you could build... Like, I've seen dads who've built, like, their kids, like, a working Millennium Falcon in their backyard, or, like, a Millennium Falcon tree fort, or an AT-AT tree fort, and I'm like, dang, like, that's amazing. Um... Like you could make so many movies with that thing, but you know, not every not everybody's dad is a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, you know, I think um, animating, like you're know, doing your projects on your own, is great until you 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 sort of you do do a project with like a group of people, and you realise just how how fun and just how you know how good that is, you know. And I think um, like because I've I've started now. Um, I'm currently in um, uh, film school, and um, you're ha having to work with like a group of people doing like live action stuff, and um, I started to really see the value in kind of teaming up and sort sure. of learning what your strengths are, really. Oh um, yeah, yeah, right. Or like, let's say you have somebody who loves being a cinematographer, and then also someone else who loves being a camera assistant. 
So they're going to take that camera assistant is going to take that technical job very seriously. And that means that all the footage is going to be captured correctly. It means that the lenses are clean. It means it's all those other technical things that slow you down. So, you know, when you're working by yourself, you're like, did I build the set completely? Right. Do I have, you know, like the, the team allows you to do things that you don't normally like maybe even ideas you didn't come up with. You know, that's that's yeah. the beautiful thing about collaboration. It's something that humans do that animals don't. You know, we're the only <laughs> species on Earth that does collaborations in a creative medium. And whether it's brick filming or another kind of art, painting, you know, whatever it is, we're the only species who does that. And I think another benefit of it, actually, is that it could help push you to actually finish a project. Because if you have all this great work done by other people, you can't just give up on it then. True that, man. Yeah, not only that, <laughs> but it's like we do find like, the, you know, based on the teams, I find it gets actually kind of competitive uh, a little bit. Uh, Sean Willits, myself, Christoph, and Ferran have been working on some projects lately at Digital Wizards. And uh, the guys do get very competitive with each other. So just to kind of break it down for you, I direct, so I don't really get a chance to animate very much anymore on these projects um, because I'm directing and overseeing the whole thing. Um, but we had three animators on our last project, which was a stop motion in VR 180. And this has never been done before. What you do is you take a very wide angle lens you attach it to a motion controller and you're able to take a series of pictures of a left eye and right eye. And we've done uh, two films like that. We've done a Star Wars film, uh, which was Friend Zone Awakens, Toy Wars, The Friend Zone Awakens. And we did another film, which is Deadpool's Dinner Party of Death. And we were able to do a three and a half minute long shot and it's just endless uh, but what we would do is we'd have to run animators day and night in order to get it done in the timeline that we we were working on it um so you'd see like Ferran would work on some stuff and he's not a brick filmer he's more of an animator who's done some brick filming he actually he animated on jurassic disney world with me as well uh and then sean willits would come in and he would animate and then christoph would come in and he would animate so it's like everybody's got like they would see something that someone else did and then it pushes them to do something else. Or they were like, wait a second, you know, when uh, Alien gives Deadpool to Swirly, I wouldn't have done it like that. I would have done it like this. So it's like everybody brings so many different creative ideas to the team that there's just there really is a huge value in operating within a team and just building it up like that. Yeah. But it's like one of the uh, interesting things that um, Christoph was uh, talking was telling us about um, when he was on the podcast, because he was talking about um, animating on um, the friend zone. Uh, sorry, what's it called? The uh, oh, Toy Wars, uh, yeah, friend, uh, friend zone awakens. Yeah, he was he was talking about working on that and how like um, you can sort of tell when each animator comes in and does their part because they have their own sort of distinctive sort of style. Yeah, um, that is true. There is two. There is yeah. On um, that one, uh, for, on Friend Zone Awakens, that one actually you see it a little bit more than you see it on the Deadpool Dinner Party of Death. And I think it's also because Kristoff would get a shot, and then Ferran would get a shot, and then Kristoff would get a shot, and then Ferran would get a shot. So like Kristoff has like he is real. He has some strengths 
that are really, really good. Like he does that whip scene that where that like that sword whip like turns down like it's got like erectile dysfunction or something like that. He's <laughs> so good at his comedic timing. He's really, really strong with that. And Ferran is really, really great with action. Um, so you have like, you can kind of see, you know, if you look closely, I'm sure animators see it. I'm sure directors see it. I'm sure brick filmers with the right kind of a sharp eye can see these things. Uh, when you look at the whole film, though, it feels very cohesive. But there are things that, you know, you would see um, different animators have slightly different styles. So you try to match that. Um, and I, I have experienced that with uh, on Overwatch. When we we're doing Overwatch House for IGN, you know, we were delivering like 20 minutes of stop motion in like a two and a half month period, three month period. Um, so we were running four, four stages. So every stage has a set, every set has an animator, and every animator is working on different parts for a three to four minute episode that's going, um, you know, that has different little pieces to it. So, you know, one scene, like, someone may have to do a lot of dialogue. The next scene, somebody's got to do a lot of action. And, you know, how do you blend that and how do you work on people's, you know, you have to look for people's strengths or weaknesses. We have this one animator we work with who used to work on Pee Wee Herman, uh, on the Pee Wee's Playhouse stuff. He did all the dinosaur scenes, and <laughs> uh, Kent, and he's amazing. He, but his animation is very robotic. So you know he was good for animating things like Bastion, mm -hmm. uh, but it takes a little while to discover it, though, right? Like who is good yeah. with what? Kent is great with vehicles. He's great with mechanical um, animation. Uh, Sean Willits, he's got great comedy, he's got great action, he's he's really good with um, camera moves. There's really nothing that guy can't do. Yeah, he, <laughs> definitely. He's one of the best that we've ever seen come out of brick filming. Yeah, actually, you should see this uh, Spider-Man video that he and I are working on right now that I'm producing and he's animating. It is incredible. It's wild. Sean's got a lot of great ideas. And there's been a couple things that we've been like co-directing on. We just co-directed on a project. Uh, it was non-Lego, um, but it was pretty amazing. And it turned out really well. Uh, and then his new Spider-Man project looks spectacular. Is, is that a Lego project? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, you'll see it probably. It'll be released in hopefully a month, I'm hoping, on the Digital Wizards channel. Um, but we have this city. We were able to build a city that is 80 square feet of Lego. Wow. It values to about, I think it's about $75,000 worth of bricks on that table. <laughs> wow. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing this project. Oh, yeah. Especially since it's been so long since we've seen anything from him um, in Lego. Well, I think what it is, too, it's like, um, you know, a lot of us are, like, in L.A., like, we're working. Like, so he works at Robot Chicken, so... He's producing like minutes and minutes and minutes of content. It's just not Lego. Um, he did work. We all worked on the um, the solo trailer for uh, Disney. Oh yeah, uh, Zach Macias, uh, Sean Willits, myself, and Brian, and who's one of our master builders as well. Uh, but Brian and I built all the sets. Zach and Sean did a stunning uh, animation on them, and all the VFX were all done by Disney. But it was just. It's just a beautiful project. Like it looks so so good. Actually, I, I've 
I should ask, uh, since the Overwatch Lego sets have been announced, yeah. do you think you'll get a, a call about doing any more Overwatch episodes? I cannot confirm or deny if we are in those <laughs> talks right now. It's a, a good answer. <laughs> Actually, we went down to uh, BlizzCon on the weekend, and we got to see all the sets and pull them all out and and have a really good in-depth look. Um, I love Lego. I love Overwatch. This is really like a great... Uh, pairing of licensing for me uh, I'm really excited to see what people are going to build you know if they can build a Hanumura if they can build um, you know whatever payload sets like we've got we've got an amazing Big Earls um, Route 66 set that like we've just wanted to expand on because we had the train cars like we want to do the diner but the thing is you know the other thing to keep in mind is when you are building for a client you have that timeline. So you say, okay, well, great. You know, we have, you know, we do have budget and we do have six weeks to get three minutes shot, but it doesn't mean we can just film anything and build everything too. You know, like we have days set aside for how many build days can we get? How many um, shoot days do we have? You know, how much VFX time do we have? Uh, it doesn't, it, you get a little bit more freedom when you're brick filming on your own, mm-hmm. um, but you do have, uh, a little bit more financial support when you're brick filming for a client. So it is really cool to see that Lego is making Overwatch sets. Uh, and I imagine there's going to be some pretty stellar video content coming out next year for Overwatch. Yeah, and I, I actually really like the look of the sets. That's yeah. Like design. Oh my gosh, yeah, that payload set looks great. Um, the drone, the Gibraltar set with the shuttle looks good and then you have a little drone that goes with it uh we actually just released our video review on it yesterday on the digital wizards channel and it was pretty cool like we got to really look at like a very detailed look at those sets um and i love them i can't wait to get them all yeah and i actually what interested me most was the mechs and do you think that they would be animatable oh yes yes those mechs are animatable definitely um, you are going to still want to have a rig. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, and I really do like the mechs. I think the mechs are going to sell out like crazy. Like the, uh, the, both the diva mech and the Reinhardt were, were awesome builds. Uh, the diva mech features like 20 points of articulation. She's got a cool back hatch. Uh, the balance on her is really good. Um, Brian had built us a diva mech. Uh, last year for Overwatch House, and that thing was crazy. Like, I can't even believe he found that much pink, and he <laughs> had gotten a really nice, sleek, compact design. We had to find uh, Lego pieces from, like, 10 years ago for certain pieces. We were like, oh, wait, there's this perfect windshield, and, like, who's got this thing? So we're scouring around all of our friends' collections in L.A. to try to find who's got that perfect windshield piece for the Diva Mech. You know, the great thing is Lego had been able to, with these new sets, they were able to build and design some new pieces that will look and help out and just make these sets look really spectacular. Yeah, of course. But then at the same time, there is that the charm in, in making it yourself and having to source all the old perfect pieces. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, everybody loves the My Own Creations, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you guys had noticed with the Big Earls uh, on the Route 66, 
um, for Overwatch House. I think it's the fourth episode when they're pushing the payload. We did cursive writing in Bricks. And that was all done by James Banks, uh, one of my good buds. And he is insane. He's just an insane builder. But he did cursive writing in Lego. Like everything is like snot building. It's going sideways. It's going upside down. It's going like, it's incredible, man. Like it's it's just so incredible, like what people can do with Lego. It is, yeah. And actually, I mean, I've been trying to wrap my head around just trying to get some normal looking writing in lego bricks for an upcoming project and even just you know block letters it's tricky it doesn't lend itself exactly well to to writing at all no the hardest thing to build with lego are curves um and that's where you have to either build sideways uh upside down uh you know just you can't always think about having your studs go up top always pointing up to the sky you know maybe build sideways you know, you can do a lot with the different slope pieces and cheese pieces and different angles that you can get out of, the, like, plates and everything um, just with building sideways. That's what I've been getting into a lot recently, yeah. I um, love, though, looking at, like, these sort of, like, mocks and stuff and just, like, just, just working out, like, oh, they used that piece for, for this and all that kind of stuff. And it's something that's, just, like, really sort of satisfying. I don't know, like, just looking at these things and just, like... Just realizing what you can do with those particular pieces. Oh yeah, you know, and that's what really makes the uh, the Lego Club meetings a lot of fun too. Like, do you guys have lugs where you guys are located? Uh, there might be one. <laughs> yeah, like a Lego users group, or there's probably one for the whole country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess we're pretty fortunate because we have one in Los Angeles. Uh, James Banks and I started the Hollywood Lug. So, uh, and we're dedicated more towards stop motion and filmmaking. We've got an event coming up for uh, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts where we're going to teach them how to do some stop motion. Uh, That's going to be really cool. Um, (laughs) And that's great because we're actually going to have like a couple of the animators. uh, Our storyboard artist is coming with us. Sean Willits is coming with us. One of our VFX guys is coming. Our DP is coming down with us. So we're going to be doing this really cool event to teach kids and kind of give a little something back to uh, the next generation of brick filmers. And, you know, hopefully they dig it and they get into it and they want to make their own films. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. um, But I think part of that is just because Los Angeles is so big. So, like, I think there's, like, over 200 members in one of our groups. Um, There is. And then Orange County is, like, right next door. So there is some overlap. Um, because there's a lot of, the Orange County lug is also really big too. Um, and then there's an Inland Empire one. Uh, there's also a, yeah, there's just lots of Lego groups all around. Um, and you see them at different conventions and stuff. So it's like, you know, we have a couple of different conventions here in LA. Uh, I think there's like Bricks LA. There's also another one. Uh, but yeah, you know, people will bring all the cool things that they've been building. We'll bring a lot of our sets. Uh, like we've shown off the Ghostbusters set or the Overwatch guns and the, some of the Overwatch sets. We bring them out and display them to people and everybody loves you know, seeing the sets in real life and seeing like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was this big or I didn't realize mm-hmm. you put lights in that thing or, or like you were able to do this or like, you know, everybody always asks like, oh, where can I buy this or, you know, oh. what <laughs> set does this come in? And we're like, this yeah. is all original. You can't buy this anywhere. Yeah, uh, actually... Um... One thing I wanted to ask, actually, because, um, you know, you've had so many, like, really amazing experiences working with people and, and, and making films like Lego Group and all that kind of stuff. But um, 
Is there like one particular like memory you have um, that is like your fondest memory of brick filming? Yeah, yeah. Hmm, that's a great question. Um, there's a couple that come to mind. There are. There was one this year where Sean and I were at Disney and we were talking about how do we move the Millennium Falcon around and how do we attach it to things um, because they were actually moving it around on this giant sea stand. That was pretty nice. Um, but I think one of my favorite memories probably from this year with Jurassic Disney World uh, where we were working on it um brian and christoph were helping out with sets uh we had taken a mountain from one of our other projects it's like this big crazy felt mountain and we added a roller coaster to it and christoph was working on that um but i think what i like is when i look around the studio and i see four to twelve people all helping out on one big project like, that's the thing that I, I love. Like, I love seeing how everyone's love for Lego has brought us together to make this one video, to make this, you know, this one thing for this one moment in time. Um, for, like, this Lego Batman video that we just did in, in VR, we built this, like, massive city. Uh, it was actually the city that we used first for Batman, and then Sean's using it for Spider-Man. Um, but we had like, oh my God, I want to say like 12 people helping work on it. We came up with an elevated train, uh, idea that Brian and I had like, we we're like kicking around, like, where do we put the train? You know, the idea behind this Lego Batman video was we wanted to do a VR experience. Uh, we wanted to use a lot of motored vehicles and things and, and all these Lego power functions. And we're trying to figure out like... How do we lay out, you know, this like $75,000 worth of Lego? Like, how do we lay out which part of the city goes where? Where do we build the Batcave? Like, where do we, uh, how are we going to do the lighting for, um, to make it look like the waterfall's working? You know, these are the kinds of memories that sort of stand out where it's like, it's all the collaboration and the problem solving and just all that just good juice and good creativity that comes from working with a team full of amazingly awesome creative artists. You know, we're all trying to work towards the same goal. We're all just trying to make the most epic, crazy brick film we can possibly think of. I think that's a good answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I do love the, the problem solving element in creating a film. Yeah. Uh, Christoph came up with this, this, this amazing device it was like a cup that had like polka dots on it and he like built it into this axle and had a little turn handle on it and like when you shine a light through it it looks like and you play that over top of like this brick built waterfall thing um that was left over from like a beach that my daughter Haley had built she had like i'd gotten all these amazing blue pieces and translucent pieces and she took every single one of them and like built a beach out of it and it stayed like a beach for like two years and then we finally <laughs> reused it into a waterfall but like you add that little lighting effect that Christoph came up with and all of a sudden it's like it looks like it's moving um you know it was kind of an interesting challenge to have to not shoot animation 
and also to shoot it with a VR camera, which has two very wide angle lenses on it. It's not until you put the headset on that you actually like dial into this and you can actually see much closer up. But yeah, I love the problem solving. Like that yeah. is just hands down the most fun part of brick filming. Yeah. And, and Christoph is really good in his own projects at um, novel concepts, doing things that haven't really been done before. Yeah, man. That guy is so creative. Yeah, for sure. And in such a short period of time as well, he hasn't been active for very long. Right. Yeah, it's great. And I think he loves I think he loves working with a bigger collection over at our place. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great, man. He's got a lot of good ideas. Uh, actually, some of the stuff he's known around the studio as the pterodactyl guy because he's animated <laughs> so many pterodactyls for us on like between Rusty Rivets uh, and then Jurassic Disney World. It was like he's got a really good idea of swooping um, these nice little arcs. Um, yeah, he's done he's done a really great job uh, with a lot of the rig work. Um, and I think you see that in his animation. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you were lucky to get him early on before someone else did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I know people are going to snatch up artists all the time. You know, it is L.A. There's lots of jobs. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of people who work with us who work at Stupid Buddy for a bit, and then they have some downtime, and then they work with us. And that goes from, like, animators to art directors to um, builders, set designers. Um all across the board you know that's that's the great thing about los angeles is everybody has come here from somewhere else following the dream of making entertainment and sometimes you're lucky enough to get paid to do it so <laughs> yeah it works out yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of a lot of very talented people that you get to work with for sure yeah it's uh, speaking of um christoph have you seen his most recent film which one uh cool jesus it's called it's um, it's on a, it's a music video he did for a group called Mudrock, I think. Oh, and, um, yeah, yeah. He was telling me about it. Um, that's funny. I didn't know it actually came out yet. Uh, no, that's funny. He didn't even send me the link. <laughs> I think it was only a, a week ago, or just a bit over a week ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my god, I haven't seen it yet. The uh, I do know <laughs> that's funny. He had borrowed some plates for it. He'd like asked to borrow some Lego or something. And um yeah, I was like, dude, send me the link when it's done. And he hasn't. <laughs> I think I might see him tomorrow. I don't know. Um but yeah, I've been kind of curious to see what he was gonna come up with. But it's uh he's it's really amazing that he did this um thing with a, a record player, um these figures and um he has like loads of the same figure um, all the way around. This like um... oh, he made a zeotrope. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wild! And it's, it's he has this. It's like really amazing. It, it it looks like animation, you know. And he's is moving around, and each one is very slightly different. Mm. I, mean, um, yeah, I mean, I remember you made one yourself a few years ago, but all the same set. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually a great, yeah fun group effort. That was one of our Lego club meetings. Was you invite. A hundred of your closest Lego friends over to your house, and I think I think like sixty five people showed up to my house that day, which was like it's so many people to have in like a two bedroom house. We're all building outside, um, you know, and and we came up with the zeotrope idea because we were you know we had a surplus of all these sets, 
Um, Brian had designed, um, oh, we could do this little thing. So we got an assembly line of people to design it. Uh, Damon and I came up with the lighting. Um, I think Travis also helped out with some of the lighting. And then we, yeah, we just figured a way to sort of shoot it without, we did the zeotrope without doing the, um, the light on it, but we just kind of rotated it around. We also built like our own turntable. And even the turntable was built by another um, huge Lego fan, Peter Abrahamson. He's done like a lot of like, he's built a lot of robotic stuff and he's an insane builder, that guy. And do you still use the turntable? Because I know that, I think the four monkeys have used a turntable to make some nice um, spinning camera shots and brick films. Uh, yeah, we've done uh, the turntable on some things. Uh, I also have like, we have a motion controller. Um, we have a Ditto Omni head and a Ditto Omni slider. So we have an eight foot slider as well as a Omni head, which is like a pan and tilt head with a focus, with a rack focus, uh, which is great for like repeatable movements. And if you need to get clean plates, mm. it does take a hot minute to set up, like maybe four to five hours. Uh, because once you set up, you keep practicing moves and practicing moves. And do I like this move or do I like that move or do I like this thing? Um, but if we have the time, you know, we do set up that motion controller quite a bit. And then we built another slider. We built a six inch slider to go on top of that slider. So then that way we could have push-ins and pans at the same time, uh, in stereoscopic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty complicated. <laughs> it is ridiculously complicated. Like when we first started doing stereoscopic animation, uh, I thought for some reason it was going to be easier. I just like, oh, twice as many frames? Uh, yeah, whatever, that should be fine. Um, it's probably just twice as much work. But it's not twice as much work. It's probably like five times as much work <laughs> because now your set is bigger and now the space where you can hide things is, is smaller. And now the, the amount of characters that are in the shot ends up being more. So if you see that like that Toy Wars Friend Zone Awakens where we're doing that like throne room scene and there are six soldiers attacking uh, Rey and uh, Kylo, you know, that's like a, a six second shot that I think took like 27 hours straight to animate. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Christoph must have been talking about that. Uh, I think the, the project wasn't mentioned by name, but... Uh, a 24-hour-plus shot certainly was. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, it was still under wraps at that point. Um, yeah, so we had that one for... Uh, yeah, that was nonsense. And uh, it's just crazy. But, like, that's the thing is, like, the artists I work with all love doing animation. We love making art. So, for like, Ferran wanted to do that shot all himself he didn't want to give up a single frame to anyone else so he's like paul he's like get me three red bulls i will <laughs> i will continually work on this until it's done i'm like yeah man whatever you need you want to do it it's yours um and it's great it's stunning it's like probably one of like the best looking animated shots i think i've ever seen and then, you know, that's the other thing, too, is, like, he does this outstanding shot, and then, we, you know, we've got to remove the rigs. And then, we you know, we have Carissa in our VFX department remove the rigs. And then we had to animate, like, VFX fire. But we had to do that in stereoscopic, so it's on two different layers. So you have one for the left eye and one for the right eye. And then 
we're adding like smoke and uh, lightsaber blasts uh, or lightsaber blades. So it's like it does take a long time to do a stereoscopic VR 180 stop motion. But uh, it is the first one as well. So like that's what I'm really happy about. It's actually impressive that um, being the first one, it's, you know, it's a, it's a long video uh, by animated video standards and, and has multiple shots because usually the, the first... Uh, the first go at something like that is, is often just like a one-shot short. Yeah, um, we had done some tests. Um, you know, this was a project for Google. Uh, they wanted to create some new VR content, and I pitched them this idea of we could do stop-mo, and I didn't really know at the time like what that actually meant. I'm like, well, we could figure it out, though. Um, <laughs> you know, we understand cameras, we understand lenses, we understand motion control. We can figure out how to do this. Uh, so there was like a learning curve to figure out because no one had ever done it before, but people had shot stereoscopic films within Dragon Frame. So there are, there are some things there, um, but there's just certain things that you don't take into effect. Like the motion controller has a number of seconds between shots and sometimes that's 30 seconds. So it's you film one eye and then the motion controller is moving to go shoot the other eye. Well, that's 30 seconds. So if you actually add that up over top, over throughout a time of day, you're losing about an hour and a half to two hours of time that just the camera is moving to do this. And that means time that the animator is not animating, you know, so it's like we're only getting somewhere between like five and eight seconds, five to nine of stop mo in a stereoscopic. Uh, VR 80, 180 uh, video. So it's a slower pace, but I think the payoff is really cool. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to watch that in a headset. I haven't actually. I mean, I, I do have a headset, but I've barely used it. So I, I should yeah. give it a look. The, yeah, I'm, I'm saying that's well, like but, the biggest yeah. reward. Like when you're watching a VR video in a headset, it's kind of like going to an IMAX film in a way. Uh, and if you're just watching it online... It's kind of like watching an IMAX movie like on the radio almost because you're missing so much. Like in a headset, you feel the size of the toys. You look around the set and it's like everything is huge. Like we've built these massive pillars. The throne room, um, the throne was amazing. It was a great build by Brian Hines again. Uh, he, we, we designed an area for lights to fill inside of it. Uh, the back throne room wall was built by Jeff Cross, who does a lot of the building over at Stupid Buddy. And he's also an insane Lego builder. I think he builds like all the Lego sets for all their um, like Robot Chicken and all the Lego videos they film over there. Um, but yeah, he built like a curved wall, a 10 foot curved wall out of wood. You know, that was pretty amazing. It looks like a skateboard ramp almost. <laughs> One of the things I really like about the um, Friendzone Awakens is uh, the um, the heads of uh, Snoke and Kylo Ren because they're not actually the um, the heads from the the sets, are they? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is like the more we've been diving into stop motion, um, the more we've been like bringing in other other elements to it, you know, because Kylo like he does that whole scene with his mask off in the movie. Um, so yeah, we wanted to build these clay heads, um, and then Snoke, like there is no Snoke, so we had to like build that out of clay, uh, and Nilani Williams is our art director, and she carved all those, and she's just incredibly talented, 
Uh, and she brought in her friend Holly Parker, who did the gold robe for Snoke. Like, that robe has couture stitching in it. So, you know, like, when you think of, like, stop-motion puppets, you think of small stitches. Well, there's this, like, couture way of sewing clothes where you don't even see the stitches. And it's like, I think it's that kind of care and detail. Like, when we talk about collaboration and we talk about, like, who can do something better than, you know, I can... Holly can definitely make clothes better than I can for Lego people. So she <laughs> yeah. gets the gig. Somebody who, who somebody who really knows their area well, yeah. And then the uh, the clay faces were something where it's like uh, we had done we had actually done Snoke's face first, and we did this like funny like dummy kind of jaw, like it almost looks like a ventriloquist dummy the way how he talks, and that was hugely successful. So I was like, Nalani, we got to make Kylo as well. So she makes a Kylo. And then I'm like, oh, should we do this with Ray? I'm like, because then it, like it'll feel like um, it'll feel a little more complete. We tried it out with Ray, um, but for some reason, it's easier to do older and uglier people that have flaws, and it's harder to do someone that has such smooth complexion like uh, Daisy Ridley. Yeah, I was just thinking that is the fact that they've got such distinctly unusual faces must lend itself. Yeah, I think there it's a little more forgiving. Like um, Kylo Ren's face is so like big and puffy and weird, and um, and Snoke's face is so winkly. Um, but ha- doing Daisy Ridley, like she's got this very strange hairline um, that looks like they were trying to hint at, like, well, maybe she's Qui Gon Jinn's daughter or something. Um, and it's just it's it's kind of a hard it's a hard head to make. Yeah, it's a bit like whenever you look at these like figures, like um, the more like ugly or kind of like um, distinctive like looking characters, they can easily mold to look like the characters, and then you get like more like just normal human kind of characters that just don't work, you know. Yeah, I think that is something with animation. I think the more realistic things are made, the less it is, it the less easy it is for us to accept it. Uh, and I think that's what you're touching on, right? Because there's like some animations yeah. you look at and you're like, so realistic, or it almost looks like it's like live action. Like, why are we even? Why even do this in animation? <laughs> yeah, it's like I motion think capture. <laughs> we like animation because it is fantastic and because it is cartoony and because it is an escape. I don't know if we like animation that's too real. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I always think that if you're just trying to emulate live action, well, just do live action. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it's like, you know, animation, it's kind of, um, it's it's creating worlds which, you know, could only exist through animation. So what's the point of trying to make it like the real world, you know? Yeah. But, you know, actually, uh, something I wanted to ask was, uh, does your, was your influence in brick filming basically all through uh, just a background in film and animation? Or are there any brick films in particular that have influenced your own work? Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's mostly based off of Hollywood movies and what I love, which is, I think, why I do so many things that are things like Ghostbusters and Jurassic Park and Avengers and superhero films. Uh, It's only when I look at things that are, like, from Forrest or Mind Game or, or Sean, like, when I see other films like that, I think sometimes that influences uh, my style. Um... There's actually, oh, 
actually one big influence I had, I got to work with Garrett Barati for about a year and a half or so. And we produced a lot of stuff for Lego group uh, with the Mixels line. And like Garrett is like this amazingly talented animator. I actually learned like a crash course, pretty much like animation college by basically working with him. Uh, but he ran a studio in LA for a couple of years. Uh, it was a small place. It was him, Brian, and myself were the only ones who worked there. Um, but we made some pretty cool things. Uh, we did a lot of stuff for like Lego Mixels. And it was like there, like I learned about the 12 principles of animation. Um, because like Garrett's done like some amazing, he's done some incredible films. Um, and his way is he tries to do it as brick built as possible and like less VFX as possible. Like that's his thing. It's like, if he can shoot it realistically, he's, he's going to do it realistically. Uh, and I think that was an influence on me for a while because I love that idea. I'm like, oh, if we have Lego, we use, you know, we use Lego. We don't necessarily need to make a real tree or, or something like that. And I think that's where we started doing a lot of things like uh, squashes and stretches made out of bricks. Like, I love that. Or like movements that are like a swish that becomes a brick. Uh, like, I love that kind of stuff. Mm, yeah, I love that stuff as well. I always try and think about it. Is there a way you can do it in brick? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's why, yeah, those his, his stuff has been a real sort of influence. Like he did like that original Star Wars Fastest and Funniest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just amazing, that. Yeah. And he did the backgrounds in camera with a, a TV screen, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. He is he's a very talented animator. Uh, but I think, yeah, he moved away from L.A. like a couple years ago. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because I haven't really heard about anything he's made for a while now. Is he still animating? Yeah, sorry, I don't really know too much of what he's up to. Okay. I guess sort of related to this, have you noticed that um, Mob Deli has sort of started uh, becoming more active again? Well, he's uploading things that he made for Lego, but they're they're not yeah. recent. Oh, no? They're not. Huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, they've been around on, on Lego YouTube channels over the years. Yeah. But But he's just grouping them together on his own channel now. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like when you're making stuff for Lego, it goes on their channel. And I think some of their the agreements are like you don't get the... There isn't like credits. Yeah. <laughs> that is a bone of contention for some people. It's, um, it's somewhere between this world of like if you're making YouTube videos, you kind of tend to know like whoever's channel it's on. You kind of tend to know like you look at a Brotherhood film and you know it's, you know, you know Kevin Ulrich made that. Like you can tell in his animation style. You look at um, a Pagano film, and you know that he made that. Um, but, you know, I think some people, you know, it's just it's kind of like you put a lot of work into something. I think some people want that kind of credit of seeing their name on screen. I think that's really hard for people when they're making ads for someone else that you don't get those credits. Yeah. And also, if, if this stuff only ever ends up on Lego's YouTube channel... They must upload hundreds of videos a week, and it just gets buried and lost. Yeah, yeah. think about that. Think yeah, about like working sad. on something for a month or two months. I don't know where it goes. It's crazy, though. Like, the, their YouTube channel is just so kind of, like, messy. It's chaotic, they've yeah. got like They've got, like, you know, a couple million subscribers, and most of their videos don't get more than, like, 10,000 views. 
just because it's just so hectic. Oh, really? So it's even happening to Lego, too, then? Yeah. Now I don't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so were you saying that you're in uh, film school now? Uh, he is. I'm not. Oh, okay. Uh, did you go to film school? Um, I was doing animation for a bit, but I stopped doing that. I decided it wasn't really the right path, so I might try again something else soon. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I kind of... I thought that animation would make sense, but then... Uh, I didn't expect it to be sort of more about the actual drawing than the animation theory, I suppose. Oh, okay. So, what, do you illustrate at all? Well, I am I think that I'm competent at it. It's just, it's, it's not really what I'm passionate about. Like, like I was there and, uh, you know, all the people around me were all drawing basically 24-7. Like, yeah. if they were on, on buses or just they had downtime, that's what they were just into. The, all the whole time and I was just looking and thinking you know I, I'm not really like that mm-hmm. yeah so it, it just kind of I, I should have I really should have looked into it more beforehand I guess well there's also different jobs in animation too like maybe if somebody else modeled the character like you would be into rigging it or uh, and like the actual animation or the lighting or like maybe there's some other part of the process it kind of makes sense if you're into stop motion. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're into drawing. Mm, yeah, it does, yeah. So, huh. But I, I'm kind of thinking that I, I might try something a bit more generally film-oriented. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, yeah, in, in making stop motion films, uh, I'm, yeah, interested in, the, in all the film aspects, really. Yeah, you don't want all those years of, like, storytelling to go to waste. Yeah. You, know, you can probably just translate those skills. Those skills will transfer over to something else, like whether it's camera department or sound or directing or whatever. Well, it's kind of funny because, um, like, a lot of the techniques that um, I kind of started to do, um, a lot of the techniques that they use in films, like regularly, like focus pooling, tracking shots, that kind of thing. And um, I think um, you can translate a lot of the stuff you learn from stop motion into live action probably more than like if you did hand-drawn animation or something like that you know oh yeah definitely like i don't think um like are there camera moves like, i guess there are camera moves and maybe in cg animation but um yeah huh so i guess we should um we should go to the brick film showcase now all right sounds yeah good. sure yeah okay so uh my pick was eight bit trip which is a uh, 2009 music video um, set to a song by the Swedish chip tune band Wim Dreddelag. I, I probably completely kind of... Is it Armageddon? That, but... Is that how you pronounce that? Like Armageddon? Ramagaddon? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is a wild film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was made by the, the same guys who made the music. As their own music video. Yeah, it's cool. You see, it is kind of like the animation is mechanical. So it is kind of that, I think, that thing that, uh, you know, when we when everybody starts animating, they don't necessarily understand the 12 principles or how things really work or move from one to the next. Uh, but I love, like, conceptually, I love where this is going. Like, they cover a dude in Lego. They make a bunch of karate guys. Um, they have you know, weird, like, rainbow things happening all over the place. It's pretty trippy. It's yeah. actually, it, it kind of reminds me of the, the White Stripes music video you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a bigger version of that, in a way. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. It has this also like very nostalgic feeling Lego video because it's only done with like what looks like two by fours and two by twos. Yeah, I think there's only what three or four colors. Right. The whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So it does feel kind of like whatever was in like that old box of Lego that everybody inherits. Yeah. And I, what, I, what I really love as well is that all these kind of like references to, um, you know, all these sort of eight bit kind of uh, video games like Mario and, you know, those kind of things. Oh, yeah. The Pac-Man part two, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool film. Yeah. And I, I remember when, when this came out, it was like a really big deal. It was being shared on lots of websites. Um, and they, they were talking about making a sequel at some point uh, a few years ago. But um, haven't heard about that in, in a good few years now. But hopefully, it's just it's just so big and impressive that it's taken them all this time or something. <laughs> they've still been they've been working on it ever since two thousand and nine. It's possible. Uh, I wonder if they're still a band. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, maybe. They last released stuff. Um, I think in twenty fourteen. I I looked up on their um Spotify just just out of curiosity. Yeah. Um. So they were still doing stuff like four years ago, but. Yeah, I don't know if they're still doing stuff now, but yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty popular one. What's kind of cool about it is that there is no like IP attached to it. It is just Lego bricks moving around geometrically, and and they do have like you know that video game throwback feel to it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's that's true actually. Like, it got so popular just on the strength of it being impressive because the title essentially looks like nonsense. Right. <laughs> rim drillage like yeah yeah they got some nice camera moves in there that stuff feels like it's on a turntable yeah it's very consistent mm-hmm. i'm actually um really intrigued by um those scenes that look kind of like live action mm. um are they actually is that actually brick built as well no i think that's a filter oh the mario oh, okay, one yeah. or the oh yeah like the two guys yeah the two guys and they they put a cartridge in a machine yeah, that does feel that does feel like a mosaic filter, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it, it is it is uh, well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I have heard about filters that can do an effect like that, mm-hmm. and it certainly looks like a you know full motion. Right, because otherwise the alternate like how to actually do that, you would probably film it, set it up as a lineup layer within Dragon Frame. And then have to like rebuild your wall, yeah, or replace your wall. Like that sounds like a nightmare. It does, yeah. And I mean, people have done things along those lines on a much smaller scale. Sure, yeah. But yeah, definitely, this this looks like a it's live action filtered. Yeah, I think it's also because the black is so black, like it's so dark that it doesn't look like black Lego that is filmed. That doesn't have that shininess to it or that you know, scratches or the flaws. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like, the whole the whole thing is just so kind of like, um, it's, it's always like mesmerizing, I suppose you'd say. Like, it's just so like, you know, it, that kind of like, it really satisfying to watch, you know? Like, it's it's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like uh, something that you'd see in Doctor Strange, right? Or... <laughs> yeah. The, uh, actually, one scene that really impresses me in this one is they have that, like, cube then the cube is like oh yeah moving oh, yeah, around yeah. like that like conceptually coming up with that i think that's a really cool idea i think they executed that really well and also there's like similar to that there's that wall with like there's bit there's sort of sides and it kind of moves around like just that's just insane how do they do that 
Right. Oh, yeah, with the mushroom and the uh, little Koopa thing, or the Mario villain. Yeah. And it comes around the corner, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really impressive stuff. Yeah. I love when people do, when they do, like, these brick-built effects. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think I think they mentioned somewhere how long it took them, and uh, maybe in the description. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, it was a very long time. Yeah, I believe it. I can't remember what it was, but I, I remember it definitely being many, many hours. So, yeah. It's no surprise that we don't see this kind of stuff all that often. Oh, 1,500 hours in description. Uh, That's over 60 days. 15? <laughs> yeah, 60 days. Wow. What have you done in 60 days? <laughs> I've probably done like 30 seconds of animation in that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's 60 days continually. Like, imagine if you had 60 days. That's the other thing, too, right? Like... How many of us actually get the opportunity to do nothing but animate 60 days in a row? Um, You can really only do that if you have a client or if you have, like, some money coming in. You can't just not do anything and just make two 60 days of nonstop animation. Yeah. What if, though, like, if you think about it, like, not doing something to quite that scale, but doing something, like, with with minifigures, like a normal brick film, but nonstop 60 days, you'd probably be able to make a feature film. Um, yeah, you could. I think the, um, Friend Zone Awakens took us, uh, I think it was like 3,000 hours or 3,500 hours, which was five to six people working over a two-month period. So I think that does work out to be about 60 days, but that's, that's two minutes in stereoscopic. Um, there was, we have done a project where we did two minutes in eight days for a feature film. It wasn't brick filming. But, you know, we've, that's the thing. It's like, if you can find, like, what, where do you find those numbers? Can you get two minutes a week? You have to get two minutes a week for 60 days. 60 days breaks out to, what, eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah. 16. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can hit 20 minutes if you're lucky. Well, it depends on the scale, I suppose. You know, like, on Bricks in Motion, we have the Brick Film Rapidly All Week Long Contest, and... People can make impressive four-minute or five-minute films even sometimes for that. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it just depends. Yeah, it's you're right. It is all about scale. Yeah, but of course, I mean, even that's flat-out work. Mm-hmm. So you, you wouldn't want to be going flat-out for eight weeks in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Could you imagine? No, I could not. Like, if you, were do- if you did Brawl for, like, eight weeks in a row, I think you would just die. <laughs> I mean, it feels bad enough after one week. <laughs> well, maybe the eight weeks means that you wouldn't be killing yourself every day because you I know suppose, you have yeah. eight weeks, right? Like, you do go, okay, well, today we're going to shoot 40 seconds, and then tomorrow, yeah, maybe I shoot seven seconds. But it's a good seven seconds, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem I'm having right now is that I'm, I'm, I've just started now, um... Like, um, after, like, a about six-month hiatus on this one project, I've actually started animating it again. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm trying to kind of, like, juggle around um, university. Mm-hmm. So I have, like, this week I've had just this today as a day off. So I spend all day building the set, and this evening I'll be doing the, like, second, like, couple of seconds of animation within that set. So and What are you even <laughs> talking to us for, man? You should be building and animating right now. <laughs> don't ever stop no you're still building while you're podcasting <laughs> i'm just taking a break while to do podcast <laughs> could you imagine how bad your audio would be if you were like yeah. sifting through lego bins like while you're talking you'd be yeah 
That'd be so funny. You'd be like, hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, sure. Well, let's. Ne- maybe that. Maybe I should try um, next time doing that whilst also recording audio for a film. <laughs> <laughs> your oh. script is the podcast, right? Like, there's. They're like you'd have to ask your guest to say certain things. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Live podcasting VO session. You can make it happen. Now you have to scream. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're like, oh my god. <laughs> like, what's your impression? Give me a Megan Fox impression. He transforms. <laughs> I've I've half been considering doing something like that, uh, because I I want to be interviewing people for my history brick film series, and I was considering just asking them to just say like one word or one reaction noise, and just have a bunch of cameo appearances in a a crowd scene, um. and it'd be, it'd be much faster than having to ask everyone and then wait uh, to get something back if I was already talking with them. I'd just be like, hey, could you just say this one word for my film? That, that is an incredible idea. I love that. Uh, <laughs> what noise do you need me to make? Um, how about a, just a shocked gasp reaction? <gasps> Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put that in my, my next film, which will come out next year and will be extremely, extremely good, I hope. Nice. Uh, now it's got to live up to the hype. Uh, well, now you can put starring Paul Hollingsworth. <laughs> <laughs> the, the video description or the title featuring Digital Wizards. <laughs> and, then, and then like 20 other names. They're like, and just list, list, list. Now that is like, you know, it's funny that like when we first start making movies, uh, a lot of the time, like people get so focused on opening title sequences, right? Yeah. They make these like opening title sequences where they're like, Produced by, written by, directed by, catering by, <laughs> the original day, score. Yeah, yeah and it's the, all the same person. It's like, look, dude, just like <laughs> get to the movie. Yeah, that, that was it. Was such a big thing in like the mid two thousands when Windows Movie Maker was brand new. Yeah, and all the all the brick films, like half their running time was the credits with the the white white text <laughs> on the blue background, just uh. the same name for every single role. Right. Yeah, I know. There's so many egos out there, right? Like, just, we get it. You made this thing, you know? We don't need to see your name a million times. I think that they were just, uh, it was just a novelty to be able to even generate titles. Yeah. Yeah, right? When I was like, uh, when I was like 12 and I started, like, making films just by myself, I used to, um, like, make up names for the cast as if it was, like, this massive cast of people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm guilty of that too. Like, especially because I don't like people thinking that I do every voice. So I'm like, that was Bud Weston. That wasn't <laughs> Paul Hollingsworth. That was Skip McCruth. <laughs> that was Jasmine Hernandez. Or that was Mikael Gorby. Not. I always come up with like different names to try to fill it in. Yeah. And now I just have to get real people doing the audio. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else to say about this Rimdralodge? Um, I, I think, have we more or less covered it? Yeah. It's good. Yeah? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> oh, do you know what? It, you, um, it could be enjoyed, it, it could be enjoyed, um, not just as a brick film, but for, like, you know, um, 
What's the thing I usually say? I've forgotten now. <laughs> it's been too See, long. Usually... We've forgotten all our tropes we have to fit into every episode. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think we should move on to uh, who, who goes next? Uh, it's you now. Okay. So I picked a, a very, very unknown brick film called Fun uh, by a New Zealand brick filmer called Peter Friend. And this film is from 2002. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. It was an oldie. Yeah. And I believe... It was available on the Stop Motion Pro website around that time. Huh. And other than that, it, it's not really been seen much. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm always interested in these films that are non-minifigure and have, you know, a, an original robot design. And especially this, like, being before Robota and before some of the other influential ones. Yeah. Uh, it's impressive. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a nice inventive film. It's a creative stuff going on, like, I love how the robot has a, a wheel with all his emotions on it, and he just cycles between wh- what mouth shape he wants to make. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty creative. And it, it's kind of like, it's pretty small, the way it's shot is pretty small scale, but uh, implying a, a much larger landscape, so he, he gets a lot out of what he has to work with. Yeah, I think um, when I look at this, it felt like the table size wasn't very large. Yeah. And I think that really... Um, sort of limited, like, where he set up his cameras. Like, it does feel like there weren't a ton of different angles. It was just kind of, like, one wider shot and one closer shot. Um, but I get the feeling this was made by somebody who was kind of younger and maybe getting just getting into it. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was actually kind of older than the general demographic. But definitely it's it's an early, early film. I mean, it was from 2002, so yeah. Um, Do you think this was made with a movie maker? You mean Lego Studios? Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't wasn't made at Lego Studios. It's it's too good quality for that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Uh, there's something about it that I I don't really know why, but it kind of reminds me of like Ardman in some way, like the kind of humor, um, the visual humor of it. Like mm-hmm. he's he's walking around, he finds this sign, it says, says "fun," he just keeps following it and keeps following it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It just somehow that just reminds me of like almost like Wallace and Gromit type of humor. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe it's th- that simplicity, I think, kind of works really well for this. Yeah. Or it, it, maybe it's sort of like, um, you know, in the the first Wallace and Gromit, when the the robot is skiing on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's kind of similar to that in a way, so maybe that's what, what's reminding you of it. Y- yeah, I think it was that, is that one in particular, um, Grand Day Out, which kind of, yeah, it kind of feels like that in some way, yeah. <laughs> I kind of love that this guy's name is Peter Friend. <laughs> like i would love i would love if my name was friend yeah <laughs> right like you probably of... know everyone everybody would want to be your friend and then and then you've got like the you know someone else called fiend <laughs> <laughs> like your girlfriend's name was fiend but like your name was friend <laughs> that's that's the kind of name you would put on a credit and pretend is in your film <laughs> <laughs> Right? Like, hey, we got Peter Friend in this. Um, no, that's a great name. Uh, yeah, it's a good little film. Yeah. Did he make more films? He did, actually. Um, he was yeah making the occasional brick film over about 10 years, I think. Mm. And uh, he has one that's that's called Hobson's Choice that had a, a small fan base at some point uh, around 2010. There were a, it basically was a, a minor cult classic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of more like a regular type of Rick film with more dialogue and minifigures. Mm-hmm. But th- this one here, I was just really 
surprised that it only it doesn't even have a hundred views on YouTube. Yeah. So I really want I really wanted to just talk about it and just to hope that somebody would watch it. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, I think one of the things you were saying is that's quite interesting is that he's like one of the only like um, New Zealand brick filmers. Yeah. Very few that I can think of. Yeah, isn't like forlorn creature, or is he in Australia? He's Australian. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, oh, it's cool for him to represent. Yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think that pretty much covers that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So I guess, do you want to introduce your pick? Yeah, sure. Um, so my pick for the showcase was David Pickett's Nightly News at Nine, Orange Green War Continues. Um, I really love this film. I think it's really cool. Uh, like David does, does he's done such a great job world building. Uh, he's given us characters like Silver Spine and like just, just everything about this I love. I love like the brick built effects. I love the symbolism of just orange and green not getting along just because it's orange and green. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's a visual delight and it's really funny and I just, I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. <laughs> it's funny how when we were talking about 8-Bit Trip, we, were, we mentioned the, the the way you'd have to have all your, your shots set up and, and replace your wall in each frame and, and it would take too long. But that's that's what he does with the Eye of Eyes in News at Nine. Right, and how did he get all those eyes? <laughs> what well, set did that come in? Or it's probably like so many. Bricklink, I'm sure. Yeah. Did Bricklink still exist back then? Yeah, well, Bricklink's been around for a long time. Okay, yeah. I guess I just discovered it late. Oh, yeah. I was I like, so. whoa, there's an eBay where you can buy just a certain kind of brick, and like you can buy 10,000 of them if you need it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love Bricklink. Uh, just recently, I got about two hundred of those uh, two by two by two wooden boxes to make wood paneling. Ooh, nice! That's a good score. Um, yeah, I'm always finding great things like um, different minifigures I don't have. Um, just whatever it seems like, whatever we need, just for like in a in a pinch. A lot of the time, too. I'm trying to remember the last thing we got on Bricklink. Um, it always surprises me. Like, I used to think, like, oh, a hundred of a piece is enough. And it's like, it's nowhere near enough if you want to build, like, a building oh, yeah. or a modular. I'm like, no, you need, like, four thousand of a piece. And then and then you, that's yeah. enough. Once you really get into it, all your perceptions of the numbers change dramatically. Yeah, yeah, a hundred. Come <laughs> on. Yeah, I know. It's so underwhelming, too, when you get a bag of a hundred Lego pieces. Yeah, this is a tiny bag. <laughs> yeah, a hundred one by ones is like fits in my hand. But and at the same time, without the website, where would you have ever gotten a hundred just like that? Oh yeah, right. Like that's the thing. Like thank goodness for Bricklink. Yeah, solving all our problems. But yeah, with with things like the Eye of Eyes, I'm always impressed with David Pickett's work. Is that he does yeah. these concepts that most other people would write off as too time consuming. Yeah, There's many things like that in his across his films. Sure, right? Like, who would do that? Who would replace everything? Like, right? Like, and then it it has the dragon like shows up in it, and then yeah, or like the way how the dragon breathes fire—that's all bricks. Or then um, you know, just I love just like the fun, creative, and cool concepts that David comes up with. Yeah, and this the entire series is some of the most creative stuff ever in brick filming. And then have you have you guys read his and David's book? I actually haven't, no. Oh my god, it's so good. It really is, um... Oh yeah, I gotta get a copy, yeah. Yeah, they did a, they did a great book, uh, and 
it was a couple years before that um, Sarah Herman had reached out to me and she was putting together a book and we had she asked me to do a bunch of pictures so I think I, I got like 200 photos into that book for her and it was like it was really really good it's like a good like brick filming guide and then David and David's book came out and I'm like dang I'm like this is a really good book for brick filming they're both really really good um, I think what I love about Sarah Herman's book is she also has a little bit more uh, like some more interviews and things as well so she did get interviews with Zach Macias, myself, um, a couple other guys. Uh, so it is kind of a little bit more of if you want to understand like what other people are doing, that works. Um, but the great thing about David Pickett and David Pagano's book is that it features so many brick built effects. And it just sort of really focuses on if you want to do Lego stop motion, you want to learn how to do a walk cycle. You want to learn the 12 principles of animation. You want to learn any of these things. It's all in that book. You know, it's just, it's really incredible. And I think it's like under $20, I think. It's pretty good. Yeah. I've, I'm definitely, I've, yeah, I've been meaning to get a copy for a long time yeah, now. Same. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is, yeah, it's a good one. Well, now you know what to put on your Christmas list. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's, there's plenty to learn, even if you've been doing this for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was reading through it, and I learned a couple things. So, it's really cool. But, yeah, I suppose, uh, to get back to the, the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one's, it's interesting how the, yeah, the, the dragon has the, the mouth that can can move in time with the, the dialogue. That's, that's another thing that's that would be very time-consuming. Oh, yeah. Well, and then also just his impression and the characteristic that he gave to yeah. Silver Spine, like having that, oh, yes, oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> like, I love yeah. that character. Like, that is, like, it's just so fun. Yeah, he definitely gave that a, a distinct character. And, yeah, he, he comes up with some very, very distinct things, uh, like the, the leg sharks as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what's fun was like I think we all did that with our pirate sets and stuff. Like you know we put legs on them because we. <laughs> but um... he goes the, the 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 whole way with them, turns them into a, you know, a character or a species in in its own right. Yeah. Would you say in a way it's this kind of stuff like Night News of Nine is kind of like a uh, Lego equivalent of something like Monty Python, just like the wacky kind of sense of humor and just like the you know weird and but wonderful concepts and. Hey, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, sorry, my dog's barking at something. <laughs> the dog agrees. Hey, come on. Sorry about that. It's alright. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were saying you were saying that uh, David's got like a lot of like joy in his animation and and just really absurd and crazy concepts, similar to Monty Python. And I gotta agree with you, like. It's, it's really incredible what he's been able to do with this Nightly News at Nine series. He, here's a guy who I wish he had 60 days that he could just <laughs> animate whatever he wanted in that 60 days. Yeah, that's, I, I know he's been, he's been busy with plenty of other projects, but yeah, it is a shame that we haven't seen any Nightly News at Nine in a long time. Because I think, I think he has more chapters written fully and has done for a long time, but yeah, the opportunity to actually get around to animating them in full just... Yeah, it's not there at the moment. Yeah, it does come. Yeah, just it's 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 a timing thing. Yeah, it's understandable. 
but yeah, we'd all, we'd all love to see it. Well, and then I think, yeah, that's it too, is, but the videos that I think he makes that he does really well with are the Five Nights at Freddy stuff. Like, those are the things that, you know, they're simple. It's weird, like, YouTube is, like, rewards people for making a less quality film, but more of it. Like, it's a quantity over quality metric. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, YouTube definitely is, yeah. So, it's almost like... It's kind of hard, yeah, it's hard as an animator to, like, how do you make many, many seconds of something, make it at a quality that you like, and do it often enough that people can continually be entertained. And that's hard, you know? Yeah. I don't know a lot of animators who can do that. And it's just as the more movies we make, like, everybody wants to just make better films. No one wants to do yeah, something simple anymore, you know? Yeah. Everything becomes more time-consuming, yeah. I don't know the last time a movie took, like, under two and a half months but i think it's kind of like um why you know like with a lot of brick filmers they get to the height of their success on youtube and as soon as they do they go way down because they they get that that, that height of success they do something that's really amazing and they they want to kind of like keep stepping it up staying up the game mm-hmm. and then that means it takes more time and you know youtube the way that it works means that you you spend like you know uh, a year without being on there and then you're going to lose those views and the, the subscribers and you know yeah i think the only person who has been able to continue that kind of success even though he's like only uploaded sporadically is probably forest has like can have that continual success um maybe michael hickox like he's done really well like i think he's maybe had some breaks but then also like he seems to be putting something out pretty fairly frequently yeah, yeah, it's pretty consistent, all right. But I think that even people like Michael Hickox, the the views are going down. Like, I oh, think are they? Had, so, yeah. He was talking on the um, the Brick Films Guild podcast recently, and he was saying that um, he, the guy he used to uh, is composer for the, the Two and Well series. Yeah. Um, he had to um, sort of like let him go because he couldn't afford to pay him anymore because the views has gone down. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, just YouTube has really changed its algorithm a lot in the last couple of years. Um, you know, rewarding the watch time, um, changing the way how subscribers have to hit a notification bell. It's like those were things that, like, I'm subscribed to this person because I want to see their movies, not because I want to hit another button to, like, get a notification. Yeah, and even the notification bell defaults to, like occasional notifications oh wow yeah, it does. yeah like there's been uh you know a lot of videos that i've seen like released uh where people have you know people have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and i release my video on the same day i have like i don't know sixty-five thousand, i think and we have the same amount of views on something and i'm like how how is this even possible <laughs> but yeah just social media has been changing a lot lately people yeah. aren't sharing the same ways we used to share um i think part of that's also with facebook as well like people aren't really going to facebook as much they're not sharing as much on facebook and i think that's like like a big reason why even someone like michael hickox is getting less views on his films but that's definitely a good point about the algorithm favoring watch time because even somebody like michael hickox who uploads brick films regularly you might think he'll do fine because of regular uploads but then you know if they're only four minutes each it's it's nothing compared to people who can upload ten minute videos daily or twenty minute videos. Right. Yeah. They say actually the uh, the sweet spot is if you get two videos over ten minutes uh, per week. Yeah, and obviously 
even the fastest Bigfinner could never reach that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> At this point, it's like, let's just stick them to some straws or some sticks or something and move them around. <laughs> and hopefully kids may- will watch. Or maybe make it like some sort of top 10 video and just do it every single day. <laughs> <laughs> but like, honestly, those are the approaches that like some of these bigger like MCN networks are having a lot of success with. They do find like, okay, we will put together a compilation of many brick filmer stuff put it all together we have 10 minutes which means we can put ads in there it also means that we have longer watch time which is going to get favored in a youtube search so like those are the things that you know that that people those are the techniques people are are really doing because they understand the algorithm and because they want to favor their content um you know it's just how do we do that as content creators um on a much smaller scale you know we're just most of us are just either doing this for fun or doing it on the side or in between other projects like how do we output 20 minutes of content every week yeah but i think as well like um i don't know if um a lot of people like this but i have this tendency to kind of think that um if i see a video is like 10 minutes long I'm probably more likely to watch that than a video that's three minutes long. Oh, really? Yeah, because I kind of feel like, um, I don't know, like, um, I don't really spend as much time on YouTube as much now. Yeah. So usually I kind of think, oh, I spend 10 minutes watching something rather than spending three minutes. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if a lot of people feel that way, but people are, I think there are a decent amount of people that are probably more likely to watch longer content. Yeah, I'd say a lot of people are like that, but I kind of prefer the shorter content that gets to the point quicker oftentimes i see these videos in the related on youtube and it's the the topic might sound interesting but then i see it's like a 30 minute video or even an hour long or something and i just think that no there's no way i'm watching that (laughs) it's hard for yeah i'm trying to think like do i watch things i guess i click on things mostly because of the title or what it like what's recommended um actually the coolest video i've watched recently was how willy wonka relates to snowpiercer I don't know if you guys have seen that video, <laughs> but that thing is incredible. There's so many clues. It's they're saying that that movie Snowpiercer is like a direct sequel to Willy Wonka. <laughs> do you know what we need to? I, I need to do now. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know these like video essays which uh, they'll take like a popular film and say why it's 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 it sucks or if it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. I need maybe maybe I need to do like a like video essay on brick films and like say oh you know. The reason why the cleaners uh, didn't do well with views or something, you know. <laughs> oh, I could tell you why the cleaners didn't do well. Um, you know, and it's it's unfortunate, but it doesn't have an IP standing behind it. Mm. So it's not searchable. You know, it's a beautiful animation and it looks and it's stunning, you know. But in a world where kids are looking for Spider-Man, Avengers, Superman, Batman, the cleaners just doesn't have that grab that something like lego avengers or you know lego batman has uh do you yeah. know what it, also it should have also been called lego cleaning fail oh <laughs> boom right there you change that you'd probably get a million views on it by tomorrow morning <laughs> just a few keystrokes <laughs> but actually um that it, it, i was just reminded of something uh titan pictures has a a kids toy channel like a brick film kids channel and it, i think it uploads daily or maybe tw- like every two days or something but and all the videos are, are over 10 minutes long but what's done is it's like 
one or two minutes of new animation, and then after that, it just loops some of the old films from the channel until it's until it reaches ten minutes. And you know, I, I guess you know, kids aren't aren't really discerning. No, I think <laughs> sit there and, and it'll play out. You're you're right because what it is is it is it is the most of views that he's getting are probably children who are not signed in, so they're mm. also like not leaving comments, which means that they're also not like, hey, you already uploaded this video. Yeah. <laughs> um. But it's a good technique. Um, yeah, yeah, I do think it's yeah, it's pretty clever, all right. Do you know though? Like one of the things that I found um, is that I, I almost find it kind of sad in a way. Like the, my most viewed videos are quite often the videos that get the least amount of response. Like, like literally, I have some videos that have got like thirty thousand views, but uh-huh. like um, I get like half the amount of like comments that I would from a video that gets like. 500 views you know right yeah with like 30,000 views you would think it's like one in like one in a thousand people usually leave a comment or maybe it's like one in like 500 you should have a ton of comments what I wonder is is your video embedded on something else that maybe they're watching it on something else like they're are they watching it on another site or are they watching it on Facebook or do you know I think maybe as well it's just kind of like um it, you know, the, those kind of videos maybe attract a different kind of audience. People that just kind of like watch a funny video and uh-huh. then move on to the next thing kind of thing. Like like I did a lot of music videos. Yeah. Um, like I did one of David Bowie and Mick Jagger. Yeah. In the street. Oh my God, and I love that. That's got, that got like 30, that's got 34,000 views now. Yeah. On Vimeo, on Vimeo it's got like 100,000, but like, um, you know, loads of people. But like, yeah, it's not got nearly the same response as something like i've done recently mm-hmm. and i think in the end um if you sort of forget about the views and it, you think more about like just like the response the things that people say the kind of like you know the, the supportive comments and then you kind of realize that that's kind of more important really than the amount of views you get i think definitely yeah i think what we're kind of talking about here is like a view versus like an engaged or shared experience and I think we make these videos not for the views, but so we can kind of just say, hey, this is something that meant something to, to me or meant something to us as a team. And we made it and we hope, you you know, it entertains you. You know, like it is the comments that kind of keep us going or like give us little bits of encouragement where they go, wow, that was wild or that was crazy or I can't believe this or, you know, or you guys are nuts or things like that. Um, or this is the worst, you know, like... <laughs> Those are the comments that, like, we can live by or die by, but it's those engaged views that kind of mean a little bit more than just, oh, that's another view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it says a lot that we've spent a lot of time here talking about uh, the actual experience of working on the projects with other people mm-hmm. rather than, you know, how successful they are at the end of the day. It it, it goes to show what, what stands out in your mind as, sure. as most important and most enjoyable. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very weird, too, because, like, at the end of a project, like, when we're wrapping everything up and we get all the editing done and we have to put away the sets and everything, like, there is a little bit of sadness or something that goes into it because it's, like, it's done. And it's just, it's about to get packaged and, like, put up online. But there is, like, a little kind of, like, oh, it's all done. Like, we've done all the animation. We've done all the VFX. We've done all the sound work, the voice work, the audio record session, the mixing uh, music choices, all that. Um, but there is kind of like this little tiny sense of melancholy, like just before it gets it gets uploaded. 
And then, like, on the upload, it's like, oh, all right. Like, there's, like, a little bit of, like, anxious energy. Like, all right, should I, you know, how, how do I keyword this? And, like, how do I, you know, hashtag this thing? And where am I going to share it? And who am I going to send it to? And there's, like, all this excitement. And then, all of a sudden, the video comes out, and then people can respond to it. And people either respond to it either right away, like, right away in comments. It's, it's real easy for them to say whether they love it or hate it and they're making like a snap decision based on something that for the most part like we've been working on for months or weeks yeah i i get the same sort of feelings uh, especially like after a large project is over you feel kind of lost yeah like you don't even know what are you supposed to do now with yourself <laughs> yeah i think it's just finding another project you know yeah it's like when you were in the middle of working so hard on a project you're you're on autopilot and you have a, a nice purpose to work towards but then when it's gone then you, you feel like the purpose is gone <laughs> yeah it is good that, that's why it is good having like a client who has projects uh for you to do because a lot of the time it's like oh we've got multiple episodes so it's like we mm -hmm. do one one good done out the door episode two we're working on episode two and three at the same time and then now we start yeah. working on four and we finish two and then we send episode two out and it's like you're you're running this kind of race until like just complete the project, complete the project, complete the project. And then when it is all done, you're like, whoa, what are we doing now? Like, are we doing, yeah, what's the next thing? Uh, and that is kind of like the fun part of like searching for a new one or writing a new one or thinking like, maybe I want to write something that isn't a brick film, but maybe I want to write like a feature or maybe I want to write... Uh, a book or uh, a tutorial or something else so like maybe it's not always an animation but maybe it's something else or it's, or maybe it's like I want to get into painting or I want to learn how to draw better or storyboard better and you know it's easy to always like find some other talent that you can hone yeah but yeah it must be nice to get the the satisfaction of completing an episode but at the same time you know that you have more episodes lined up to get to work on yeah um and also, like, the first one's always, you know, the big one. The Lego Overwatch was kind of a good example of this because we were able to do, like, five episodes. And as we would finished, like, two episodes, but we we're still animating, like, three, four, and five when the first one dropped. And it was a real interesting, like, mixed bag of people who either loved it or totally hated it. <laughs> I noticed that in the comments, yeah, that the subscribers to IGN they didn't know what to make of it it seems oh yeah they're like wait a second a reality show based on things that i love like some kind of form of entertainment that is free for me to watch and you didn't do it the way how i think i sh you should have done it it's like yeah exactly um yeah i you know what like i think lego overwatch house is hilarious and i've played like I think I'm on almost like level 200 of Overwatch. My daughter's like at level 499. She's trying to get to 500 this weekend. Um, mm. And even the difference of throughout a year of like going from, yeah, you know, it would be fun to do like a comedy. You know, I've always wanted to write a comedy about, you know, video game characters in a reality show based house. I'm like, what would... What would they run into? You know, what are the ships? What are the loves? You know, what are the hates? What are the, the problems of having roommates? Uh, I think that's hilarious. Uh, and then, like, the more that I've played, I, mean, I wonder, like, 
You know what would be cool is what if it was just like if we did just a straight out action Overwatch video where it was just like nothing but like mission after mission um, that sort of worked within tandem of the Overwatch sort of storyline of somewhere in the Omnic Wars, um, you know, just trying to do some kind of mission based thing. I think that would be really interesting to try something totally different. Mm, yeah. And it, it might have less of your own creative stamp on it, but it might be received a bit better if it was just kind of more generally following the the game. Yeah, and I think that's also, like, that's another thing with um, brick films is there's, there's two kinds of brick films. There's completely original stuff, and then there is, like, like we saw with that fun video, right? Completely original, yeah. not tied to anything else. Then there's, like, stuff that's, like, Star Wars or Batman, or it's, like, it's based off of somebody else's IP. And anytime that you base it off of somebody else's IP, there's already pre-existing comic books and movies, and everybody's got ideas of how you should do that or how it needs to be done. Um, the good thing about working with those IPs is that you have a film now that, like, people are probably going to you know, could discover easily enough, oh, Lego Star Wars, sure, you know, I'll, I'll check it out, I'll watch it. Um, it's it's kind of easier to find. Uh, you don't necessarily have to establish a whole background and world and, and huge story. Uh, and it's probably easier to digest and it's a little more shareable for your audience. So those are the strengths of having, you know, working with that IP. You know, if you go to your own original stuff, like Cleaners, for example, great film, totally amazing, shocks everyone, and they're like, wow, all right. Um, but it just it makes it like less discoverable. Yeah, it, it's harder to share. But I think, but here's then, okay, so then let's take this one step further. Cleaners, everybody loves it. Everybody who watches it, positive comments all around. Overwatch House, it's a 50-50, man. Like, if I was to walk into a crowd of people who watched Overwatch House... There, it's like so polarizing. Some people totally love it. Other people are like totally hating. And and some of the criticisms are are exclusive to it being based on an IP because I saw some of the comments were saying they should have gotten the original voice actors. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, yeah it's hilarious. But you know, you'd, you'd never get that on like the cleaners because obviously, right? There's, there's no there's no such thing. Yeah. But but it's like yeah, I just thought that it was such a funny comment because how how would you go about getting all the original voice actors? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is right. Like original voice actors, like that cast comes in for like a ten thousand dollar a day session. Like that mm -hmm. is just there's no way you're gonna get that unless you, you get know, it produced by Blizzard. You should have got like uh, you know we you did your Ghostbusters. You should have got you know Bill Murray and Jack <laughs> <Dan> Lloyd. And... <laughs> you're totally right. I should have gotten Bill Murray for that. You know why? I, why, why didn't, didn't I, I get Bill Murray? Yeah, or, or Harold Ramey, or uh, like all of them. Yeah, uh, all we... we got Rick Moranis out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Rick Moranis is coming over to my living room to record a voiceover session. Then, like, why are we even doing a Lego video? Like, we would be doing <laughs> something else, most likely. I don't know, man. Um, but that, yeah, that is funny. That is a funny comment. Yeah, because I think the other thing is comments that come from people who are either trolls or don't necessarily understand, you know? No, they're not really thinking, you know, that, that in the way... They're not thinking as somebody who actually makes 
things. Yeah. But I mean, also you do get sub for sub as well. Oh, I, I haven't seen a sub for sub in a long time. It's, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you know how on TV that they like read like angry comments? Uh, yeah, you should do a video of that. <laughs> I've always wanted to do, especially we have that episode of Overwatch House where we did like Winston and Widowmaker have a love triangle with uh, Winston and Diva. <laughs> and I always thought it was so funny that like a monkey and a girl are in a relationship and yet there's this other like cold-hearted assassin that was like the love triangle that is jealous of the love triangle and like wants them to like break up so she can experience love yeah i love these comments this episode was wrong <laughs> right next to i don't care what anyone says i'm enjoying this <laughs> with 107 like thumbs ups like that's the thing it's like it is it's just back and forth you know like <laughs> yeah, it's completely polarizing to the general audience yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I do, I have thought about, like, having, like, everyone at Digital Wizards do, uh, uh, you know, read the mean comments, or read, like, the funny comments, like, they always just kind of crack me up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think if we could, if we just kept talking, we could be here for, like, five hours easily. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, do you guys like the longer episodes, or do you tend yeah, to? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. Okay, great, man. Yeah, actually, I'd listened to, uh, both, uh, Kristoff's and Sean's this week, um, which is pretty cool. Um, hey, you guys ever interviewed uh, Forrest? No, it's, no. On a, it's, it's on a list, I think, though. Oh, okay. On a list. Yeah, he'd be a really good one. Yeah, we'd love to. Because he was in the Bricks in Motion documentary, but they didn't really feature him very much. And it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a mistake to, like, one of the most up-and-coming, like, animators that's able to, like, transition from Brick Films to being a paid animator... And it's like, you got, like, zero screen time. You only got, like, very little screen time. Well, I actually know that there's a bit of a reason. It's that basically him and Sean were interviewed together, and they talked They talked over each other a lot. And um, I think that, that Smeagol found it, it didn't work very well. Mm. E edited into the film. Mm. Uh, that's why they're not in it much, then. Both of them, yeah. Oh, that's a shame, yeah. Yeah. It's funny though because he he actually said that that was one of his favorite interviews, uh, just to, like on its own or or to do. You know, he really enjoyed their personalities on camera, but it, it he just felt that it actually didn't work very well within the film. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. Sometimes things once you get them in into your project, you start to realize that that the, it's not going as you hoped. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope you know the interview here gave you guys enough to work with. Oh yeah. Yeah, this this has been great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, dude. Uh, no, I really love what you guys are doing. I hope you just keep going, keep making, like, do more podcasts, keep interviewing more people. Yeah, yeah. We hope to. Uh, to actually wrap this up, I, th I thought I'd ask actually one more question. Um, what would you say out of all your films, your proudest achievement? Oh, um, it's probably gonna be Toy Wars, uh, Friend Zone Awakens. The fact that we were able to create something that had never been done before to do a VR-180 stop motion uh, in stereoscopic, like that's pretty insane. Um, the whole film, it's, it's concise. There's a great little bit of action. There's uh, some good comedy in it. Uh, I just, I love that video so much. 
if I was to pick a second favorite, maybe Lego Ghostbusters is probably one of my is like my favorite film. Um, I feel like it's at a good length. The comedy beats all hit really well. Uh, we have so many brick built effects in that one. I just I totally love it. Um, and like the voices are great, and we got like such a great cast. We got so many people in it, like. Kevin Ulrich does a voice. Forrest Whaley does a voice. Sean does a voice. Like, everybody does a voice. Um, yeah, I just... I, I love I love that film because it was just so big. And then, plus, I got Haley, my daughter. She's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in that. And we were able to kind of mix a live-action um, element, like a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, fighting Ghostbusters. So I just... I think I love that film. Probably the most with maybe like it's maybe it's tied with Toy Wars, the Friend Zone Awakens. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. It's been it's been fantastic. Yeah, this is probably one of the best ones we've had actually. Ah, uh, you probably say that to everybody. Well, <laughs> it's actually it, it's true every time. <laughs> no, but this time it's true. <laughs> They're like we have to say that, or else no one will keep coming on the the podcast. <laughs> Just pay people in compliments. No, it sounds great, man. Uh, yeah, I hope it's entertaining enough for people to you know, listen and maybe get inspired and uh, break their Lego bricks out and maybe animate something, you know? That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. Well, yeah. It definitely has motivated me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, man. Keep, you know, if you need motivation, um, you know you should look up as Tinier Tim, who's a buddy of mine who this guy, like, motivates me nonstop. Like, he was 400 and 40 pounds and in one year he changed everything changed his diet exercised like six times a week he dropped 220 pounds in one year changed his total life around um divorce changed religions like everything changed for this guy uh and then now he's doing like ted talks and stuff and it's like here's somebody who's just changed a little bit at a time. He was saying that, like, he didn't lose 220 pounds. He lost one pound 220 times. And, like, when I think about that in, like, a stop-motion world, it's, it's like, it's not about going out and filming four minutes of stop-motion. You know, you think, like, you know what? I'm just going to film. What can I film today? What can I do today? And maybe it's, like, everybody's just got to get on their project, film it today and then you film tomorrow and then you film a little bit more the next day and the next week or whatever you have time and before you know it you have four minutes yeah i do find that uh projects that take a long time oftentimes the the productive time is is only a few days in reality Mm -hmm. yeah just you have to get yourself motivated and, and keep keep it going yeah that is definitely the hardest part but yeah stay motivated man hey i want to see your film when you're done with it oh yeah be sure to send me a link I will. And uh, thanks for the impromptu recording. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no worries, man. All right. We'll talk later, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.